Welcome to Stories with Strengths, a podcast where we over-psychoanalyze characters from our favorite movies, TV, and media. I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers. I'm Tyler, he, him, his. And today we are diving into the verse. We are spinning some webs with some of our favorite characters. We are in a multiversal mania of madness of crazy and actually done right. Mm-hmm. We are diving into the universe of Peter Parker and all of the different ways that Spider-Man forms, including one Miles Morales and going into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, so, I would argue we're I would argue we're in the story of Miles Morales, not this any is Peter Miles. Parker. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I was like, well, Peter Parker, Spider-Man's there, but it's Miles's true yeah. story. Um, so with that said, you know, if we take away classic Spider-Man and we uh, just look at all the different variations. So like Peter Parker is not an answer for this one. Mm-hmm. As a get to know you question, what's one of your favorite variations of Spider-Man? Ooh, um, Spider-Gwen, a uh, super Spider-Gwen. easy, super easy answer. Uh, when Spider-Gwen debuted in the comics, here I go being a big nerd, uh, there was a Spider-Verse event happening then. And uh, her story in the movies is extremely close to her story in the comics. And the comics are all similar to the movie. All this like very beautiful watercolor backgrounds mm-hmm. and bright neon colors. And she's just a very interesting take on the spider person kind of persona because she's yeah. not a Peter or a Miles. And at that mm-hmm. point in the comics, that had been well-worn ground. Um, and so you have... Gwen, who, you know, is supposed to die. She dies a lot. Yes. Um, you know, she breaks her neck a lot. She um, falls for Peter. God, every, that was my favorite joke in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Gwen in every universe, Gwen Stacy falls for Spider-Man is the darkest and funniest <laughs> joke in that movie. Um and uh so like getting a different spin on that character from Gwen's perspective, where now it's like, what do you do when your dad is the captain of the police? What do you do when your best friend is the lizard rather than Spider-Man? And what right. you know, how does that change that whole dynamic when you're also just a teenager wanting to live your life? Mm-hmm. Um, and also just the aesthetic of her costume is very cool. It's a Spider-Person costume with a hoodie. You love to see it. Um, yeah, big fan of Spider-Gwen. Hoods make everything better as it's Jen true. puts a hood on. It's just true. Um, absolutely so I mean I think like spider Gwen is obviously like in the top but I think like as just the humor of it goes one of my favorites is spider ham (laughs) (laughs) we do love spider ham in this house it's just so much fun (laughs) for no (laughs) other reason than it's fun and I like the and then they do a good job in the first movie with like why the power of like the like oh I'm gonna call it like the infinity toolbox pouch of like I can pull out a mallet just because it's funny yeah hammer space (laughs) yes that's what they call it that's what that's the actual tool name for it um so I just I enjoy spider ham and all the different variations that you see in different franchises for instance there's another cartoon television show that has a song about spider pig Mm -hmm. and it's just so good (laughs) That will be my answer. Well, with that said, again, some spoilers ahead for Into the Spider-Verse franchise. 
um, the first and second movie, I do believe will be getting discussed in different variations. Yes. Um, so just be mindful of that if you haven't seen it. And as we get started, Tyler, I do believe you have a new client. I do have a new client as I uh, find myself on Earth 616. I do believe this is the original one. I, it might be coded as Earth 616B, but Wikipedia said 616. So okay. I'm let me just che double check that. Peter B. Parker is from Earth 616B. Uh, okay. specifically because Earth 616 Normal is the comics. So he mm. is in a parallel to the comics universe, but not quite. The comics. He's a little different. He's built a little different. Um, and this is my beautiful dad bod Spider-Man I bring you today. Um, I love this character so much, and we'll get into it more later, but yeah, I'm so excited. Um, so Peter B. Parker is 38 years old at this time. White, European, American, cisgender, heterosexual, recently remarried, and is expecting to be a father. Um, and we are talking about Peter B. Parker between the two movies here. So light spoilers for Across the Spider-Verse. Definitely spoilers for Into the Spider-Verse. Um, but really, he's coming in because his wife is pregnant, and that's a major life transition. And hey, that's when people go to therapy. Absolutely. So that is the reason he's coming to talk to me. And I'm talking to him mostly about like, okay, so recently, you know, you and your wife had a had a trouble, you know, trouble spot, separated for a little while, and now you've remarried and you're, you know, working on starting a family together. Can you give me a rundown of like where you were at? during that time so we can kind of discuss that thing and he he discusses that he had this sort of crisis of confidence this existential crisis about his life and the work that he does saying that the work he does is very dangerous and that he didn't want to bring his wife into the danger of that and then he had something really strange happen where he met a kid that ended up becoming sort of a mentor mentee relationship for him and in meeting that kid and understanding, relearning sort of the value of family, um, getting through some grief that he had over the loss of his his aunt, but who's essentially his adopted mother, and working through some of his problems, he realized that sort of the reason his whole experience for running away from his marriage was out of fear rather than out of actually trying to protect his wife mm -hmm. um and so we start there and start talking about like okay so tell me about what it was like when you were living in, in that fear and what is it like now that you're back here and you're making choices that are different from that and how do you navigate the difference between making a choice and that little voice in the back of your head that goes no 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 but that's going to put people in danger that's going to get somebody hurt and so we process through that for him. What does that end up looking like for him? I think there's a lot of humor in his therapy. I think we're going to be joking back and forth. Um, I think that it's going to look a lot of just like processing day to day where he's at with that sort of self-confidence, self-esteem issue, which we've talked about with previous characters here. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not going to necessarily harp on that one for too long. But then we're going to start talking about what does being a father mean to him and how does that transition start looking for him 
And so we start by talking about his own parenting experiences. And he was raised by his aunt and uncle because his parents died when he was very young. And his uncle, who was his father figure, was killed. And so then it becomes about like, okay, so you up until you were like a teenager, young adult, had a really strong father figure and then lost him. And is there a possibility here that some of this fear that comes up for you is the fact that maybe you'll lose your family too in a similar way? And talking him through that parallelism of his life to the life that he's envisioning in the future and discussing sort of his, uh, what we call self-efficacy, and I'm sure we've defined that before here, but while we're here and talking about jargon, but his self-efficacy about being a father or his ability to think that he will be successful at being a father. And what does that actually look like for him? What does fatherhood and masculinity mean for him as we're exploring this? What does it mean to go from being a guy who was single and living a kind of bachelor lifestyle after he and his wife divorced to getting remarried and taking care of himself and, uh, you know, going at this relationship from a new angle to now taking care of somebody and what does that look like and being a parent and being present in your child's life even while you're doing this dangerous job that he does um and so talking through how he's going to balance that and how he's going to make that work for himself and how he can make sure that the choices he's making are serving him okay. and interestingly enough i'm talking a lot about choice here today not, and this isn't on my notes, so we're going off book, uh, is that that's more of like an existential, you know, psychology experience rather than some of the other stuff that I do. But freedom of choice is also something that I think gives people a lot of control around their life rather than allowing their emotions or their thoughts or whatever to make choices for them. So it ties back into act a little bit in that way, which is what I normally work from of like when you're paying attention to what you think and what you feel, you get to choose what you do and getting him to start realizing that he has been letting the fear drive the car for a long time. And instead of saying like, oh, this is dangerous, these people could get hurt thinking about like, well, they know that you work a dangerous job. These people know who you are. They are aware of what you do. Maybe they are making the choice to be with you because they feel like they're they feel like they're not going to be in danger. You're just the one that's worrying about protecting them. And talking him through like what does you know what does safety and security look like in these relationships and how does that look like from a choice of this is just something we have to make sure that we're okay and we're safe rather than putting his whole family in a bunker and just living in a bunker for the rest of their lives. So it becomes about like, what do you need for this, right? Do you need a burglar alarm? Do you need cameras outside of your house? Like those things are reasonable things to involve if you feel like you need them. Um, if you feel like you don't need any of those things, then that's fine too. Like you don't need to do that. I think where it starts to launch into, you know, paranoia would be the idea is like if you have those things and you're still like i don't feel safe and i need more 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 um and that is when it becomes sort of this obsessive thinking about it rather than i have the things that are in place when the things get tripped then i'll know that something bad is happening um and to work with him on 
letting go of the, some of those worries and letting go of some of the protective impulses he has for other people. It's totally great and brilliant that he's like that. And I don't want to necessarily totally change that. I want him to be protective of his family. Most men, that's what they feel when they talk about like, what is your role as a father or as a husband? It's like, hey, I need to protect this family unit. Like that's my job now. And it goes, okay, well, what does protection look like? Because protection is not necessarily wrapping everybody in bubble wrap or this might be my values coming in a little bit or keeping a gun in the home does not mm-hmm. necessarily equal protection. Protection can look like financial protection. Protection can look like that burglar alarm or those, those cameras. Protection can look like, you know, living in a house that's gated or, you know, whatever that might look like for you. Protection can be online security and not letting your kids do social media or whatever, right. Or limiting screen time. Like protection can mean so many different things. So if he's sitting there telling himself, like, I am the man of this relationship, I must be the protector, we need to get very specific on what that means. And maybe step back from it enough, get him some distance from it enough to see what might not be healthy and what might might be healthy. Because you can't stand vigilant watch like Batman on your roof all night. You just can't. Um you can, you know, make sure everybody's as safe as they possibly can, but you need to sleep too. And that also comes back to what does protection look like? Protection also looks like making sure you're the best per- version of you you can be for your family. Mm-hmm. And so that would be sort of a lot of the work that we're looking at with him in this sort of inter- intervening time period as he's getting ready to be a father and getting ready to be a husband in this new way. And mostly just talking about what does that transition from dude to married dude to father dude look like for him absolutely and i think like that conversation is um like across genders but like specifically like in this therapeutic dynamic with like a male client is so important because there is such identity shifts happening in his life from like you know single to married to divorce to married again to father and understanding how your growth during that time as an individual person has changed those words in a way Mm. of like what it means to be all those different things and like how like even the older version of you is different than the first time you did that Mm -hmm. Um, and identity work is real important because there's also just even like a natural grief of like changing identities that occurs of like i'm gonna change probably how I go about doing certain things because I'm now a dad but like I'm allowed to miss those you know oh yeah I'm gonna stay up till 3 a.m like playing video games and I can't do that as much anymore yeah or you can but it's like you know in those minutes where you're trying to get the baby back to sleep and you've got the controller and and the baby's on your elbow and you're you're rocking the baby yeah (laughs) I nanny and i've had like a kiddo wanting like help on a level and i was putting another kid to bed as an infant and uh-huh. i was like okay let's do this <laughs> yeah um, it's, but it's, it's, it's about finding that balance right yeah. it's the same thing and uh, yeah exactly like you said like what does this definition do does this changes mm-hmm. my life my life is now different after this happens mm-hmm. so what is that going to look like right and again that's why people come to therapy Trans- life transitions are hard even if they're good ones mm-hmm and it's okay to seek help if right. you're feeling like I'm a little lost in this transition. 
there's no roadmap. Yeah. It's okay to go talk to someone, talk to someone to talk through it. So for you, Tyler, why why dad bod Peter Parker? <laughs> <laughs> dad bod Parker. Um I love this character. First of all, I've cosplayed this character, the costume. I can see the costume in my closet from here. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really enjoy his attitude, his experience, uh, the like the idea of like he's a Spider-Man, but he's also a little out of shape. He's a dad. Mm-hmm. He's like a little scruffy. Um, and as, in the first movie, especially, he's having this like crisis of self. Mm-hmm. And I think it's such an interesting place to see a superhero where he is not putting on this bravado of like, I'm super strong. He's like, no, like he literally is like telling Miles, like, don't be Spider-Man that this stuff is bad and horrible and it's going to mess up your whole life. Don't do it. And like, then he learns throughout the course of that, of like, this is what it actually means to be a superhero. And it's a really cool, like dynamics. So really big fan of the character and then also, I have like a handful of clients where this is what we're talking about right now. Like literally, I think I've got three or four right now where we're talking about like, what does parenthood look like? And do, you know, for some of my younger clients, like, do I even want to be a parent? Like this conversation comes up often mm-hmm. because I think people focus on it because it's a big life decision and when you're you know when you're in your young adulthood and you're dating and trying to find a partner it's important to know like do I want kids because that's going to decide on like that's a big values thing with a partner a potential partner long term if you're you know in your you know late 20s to you know 30s even into your 40s and you're married and you're looking at like hey we're married now we want to have kids or even if you're not married you don't have to be married that's an interesting thing that I need to go unpack later for myself but, you know, if you're partnered with somebody and you're deciding, hey, we want to have kids together, like that's a big decision and it's a ch- life changing decision, a life altering decision. So it's always on people's minds from like a certain age to a certain mm-hmm. age. Uh, and you want to talk through that with them and process through them. And when it is actually the thing of like, hey, my partner is pregnant or, hey, we're adopting, hey, we're bringing a child into our home, then it becomes like a now there's a time limit on the thing. And I have mm-hmm. a couple clients that are like that where it's like yeah we've you know like we started work together and it's like all right well we've got nine months to talk about this and process this (laughs) um and so it's it's just a really cool thing and i especially the clients i'm talking about are men and it's also an interesting conversation because i think we always talk about like motherhood and these experiences like as a society not necessarily in the therapeutic sense but as a society we talk about motherhood and expectant mothers and what's it going to be like when the mom has a baby and da 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 but we don't really talk about the dads that often Mm -hmm. because those dudes are also going through a big life altering thing and yes they're not carrying the child but they are having to reestablish who they are with themselves in this new context so at times i think it's like one what women have to go through to give birth we're not undermining that but Mm -hmm. too like I think it sometimes is harder for an identity shift with men because it is such a detached process from the actual process Mm -hmm. until child is in their arms they don't have a lot going on to kind of work through like this massive change Um, and I think it's it's harder and then even after birth like dads depending on you know parenting dynamics and choices like there's not that much a dad can do in those early months in the sense of like feeding. Yeah. In the sense of like maternity versus paternity leave differences. A lot of my friends that have kids, like they're 
the dads reported like, yeah, I didn't really know what I was supposed to do for a while. And I was like, I'm just gonna like, I'm, I'm here, I'm helping very active. They were very hands-on dads, but it was a very weird disconnect for them because they're like, I'm going to break it. Yeah. <laughs> and I need them to be older so I can play catch. Cause that's what dads do. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think it's a very important conversation. Absolutely. And so, yeah, that, that's it. Thank that's you. it. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, thank you. With that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back with another client and more stories with strengths. Welcome back to Stories with Strengths, where we are talking about Spider-Man, Spider-Verse, all those fun things. Mm -hmm. Basically, you know, those animated Miles Morales movies that are very, very good. Very good. <laughs> uh, I just wrapped up talking about Peter B. Parker, everyone's favorite dad bod Spider-Man. And Jen, I believe you have a new client. I do. I am um, actually, and I'm going to blank real fast, the actual Spider-Verse, where they all collide and meet and hang out. What was the um, name? It's Miguel O'Hara's Spider-Verse. Uh, I don't remember what the location is called. So The Spider Society. Out, the Spider Society. I'm hanging out in the Spider Society. And if you have seen the movie, there was a Spider-Man therapist. Haha, <laughs> it's now me. Um, <laughs> Um, so I am, uh, I, I work in the spider society as a therapist because we all have these insane canon events that sometimes we just need to talk about and get through, but then also what is it like to feel isolated and alone and then be fully thrust into a world where you're not, and you have all of these shared similarities, but specifically for my client still feeling like she's very much in her own little bubble. I am talking with um, Spider-Girl Gwen Stacy. So she is 16-year-old female human. And uh, I don't know if they specifically talk about, and I'm just going off of the movie, not necessarily the comics. So I don't want to misidentify her and mm -hmm. include a sexuality. So I'm just not 100% certain. But in our extensive purposes, 16-year-old um, female um, female expressive uh, and she is recently been indoctrinated into the spider um academy verse and society. society thank you i was like i'm blanking on that word recently brought into the spider society after having to leave her dad behind and having a huge question of kind of who she is morally and like not understanding like how to get close to people how to feel trust from people and really grieving the loss of her best friend yeah so kind of on two folds one she's 16 and mm -hmm. um as a 16 year old as a teenager we have this amazing ability to um think that the whole world is staring at us and mm -hmm. like is judging us and is going to interpret everything as like our fault and bad and no one could quite understand us and these are a lot of the typical stereotypes of a teenager but it's a real phenomenon that happens in the brain yeah and it's really hard to turn off and um, we add any kind of puberty hormones in the mix of that 10 times worse um, and for her specifically 
having witnessed the death of her best friend, already feeling the guilt that it's her fault that it happened, but then to have her dad specifically constantly talking about how it is Spider-Girl's fault without him knowing it was her. Yeah. And how do you now get close to new people? How do you let people into your life? And um, we, she talked about joining a band and really supporting like the music end of it, you know, getting her involved in music therapy in some way, shape or form, I think would be amazing. Like, even if it's just bringing like, you know, can you bring in your favorite songs? Can you bring in like, let's, let's get you to a drum kit. Show me how angry can you play out your feelings, but also getting her involved in like a music therapy group um if you ever have an opportunity to do like a music therapy led like drum circle or a music therapy experience it is such a cool experience to go through i had the opportunity once and it was incredible um so again giving her that opportunity and space but specifically in our time together talking about like what is it like to be 16 to feel like you have to leave your home because your dad won't listen to you on such a monumentally important thing, which is mm-hmm. something that most 16 year olds go through to begin with anyway, of just not feeling like seen or heard. Uh, but in this case on such high stakes and to, I think specifically for her to feel like she is surrounded by people who are very much like her, but to still feel very much alone in that experience as spider girl, not looking like most of her other reincarnations in a way Mm -hmm. like there's spider woman and there's other female spider people, but there's not one that's looking specifically like her. Cause as she said, I have learned that I am supposed to die in most of the Mm -hmm. stories. And somehow I'm the one that survived and her fear of getting close to people. And I think how she interprets the canon events are like, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And um, should we shouldn't, we shouldn't change those things. And that fear of like, do I kind of go back? My dad's the captain. I know what's going to happen. Do I go back? Mm-hmm. I don't want to lose him, but like, how am I supposed to live with that truth? And I think somehow my brain is like translating and I'm going off no notes as well, Tyler. So we're just Mm -hmm. kind of spitballing as we talk here a little bit. But, you know, I've worked with a lot of clients who deal with inevitability of passing in the sense of like terminal illnesses. Mm -hmm. So like when someone in your life or your parent is um, diagnosed with a terminal illness, it becomes a little like a future canon event in this kind of mm-hmm. world yeah where like we know that this is going to happen one day how do we deal with it how do we know that like you know because i am spider girl and my dad is going to die one day because he is the captain or translating into like a real world experience of like hey someone got diagnosed with something and i know he's going to die one day but how do we deal with all the feelings of the right now mm-hmm. knowing that this is going to happen the good the bad the ugly right now am I still allowed to be mad at my dad is Gwen still allowed to be upset is she still allowed to be an angry 16 year old I also have the pressure of saving the world how do I handle all of those complex feelings and talking about how like a canon event if it's going to happen it's going to happen regardless 
you're allowed to live your life in the here and now. Mm -hmm. We can't, we have to be mindful of the canon event coming up in the future. Mm -hmm. We don't want to pretend like it's not going to happen. We're going to process and prepare ourselves for it. But that doesn't mean that we can't get angry that dad, your cap, the captain who might pass away um, because you're spider girl made, you know, a stupid joke about your prom dress and now you're upset at him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, we're allowed to be upset. We're allowed to be angry, allowed to be sad. We're allowed to have good moments too. We're allowed to find joy and find friendships and have to live presently as much as possible as well. So giving her that opportunity um, to to talk about all that and to talk about specifically into the next part of her relationship with Miles and how much has that has changed her in a lot of ways as that was one of the first spider people that she met and what it was like to meet Miles and realize that she's not truly alone in most of her differences mm -hmm. and um, talk about the feelings that she has for Miles and the complexity of those feelings and romantic, not romantic, intimate, not intimate, friendship, all of them because mm -hmm. feelings are complex and you can have multiple feelings at the same time it's crazy um but giving her an opportunity to talk about that and um the pressure she feels to feel like she's belonging to a group and to feel safe in that belonging um, and help her cope with this guy who kind of is in charge here who's kind of an ass and really intense <laughs> and how do you communicate that <laughs> how do you how do you communicate those needs to those people in your life but yeah I think that it would be a lot of just giving her an opportunity to work out her feelings we've talked about it before but like expressive arts sand tray uh, giving her external ways to deal with things um, mm -hmm. I think like even movement therapy and like walk talk walk and talk therapy would be very beneficial for her like I don't mm -hmm. think she would just sit on the sofa and like just feel comfortable letting it all out. But like even getting her into like our gym area of like, let's, you know, work out, let's get on like a treadmill and just walk or like, let's go walk around as we talk, whip around on our spider webs and, mm -hmm. and chat. Um, I even just the, I loved the movie in the sense, I love the scene where in the second one, they're they're sitting upside down but right side up in a way mm -hmm. i'm like that'd be so cool to do therapy like upside down but right side <laughs> up <laughs> um, but yeah that would be my time with gwen and giving her again that opportunity to um kind of figure out what it's like to be 16 in this world yeah absolutely to be 16 in any world really right, am I right? <laughs> right. um yeah so Ah, so much to unpack with this particular <laughs> character. And I mentioned earlier, I love this character. Yes. Um, and yeah, for for uh, for lack of wanting to just gush about the character in particular, I think bringing up some of the things like the brain chemistry that comes up with teenagers is important as well. I don't know yes. if we've ever talked about that. We've talked about teens a lot. I don't know if we've ever talked about the actual like the actual chemistry brain chemistry yes. stuff that happens. Um which is probably because we focus more on the counseling side than the psychology side here. Right. But I think it's important to point yeah. out and remember as well. And I come from a more science research psychology background. So that's something I actually bring up a lot with clients in general is like, 
if they are teenagers, if they are parents of teenagers, or if they've been a teenager and now they're judging themselves for their teenage self. I'm like, y'all, you had no control at times. Like, we feel like we have all the control in the world as a teenager. We are 100% masters of ourselves. We are doing it. We are amazing, invincible. Or there's just a lot of chemicals in the brain happening right now as we are going through one of the most monumental changes of our bodies. Um, And it is terrifying. Like, when I work with teenage girls, especially, like, early puberty teenage girls, Um, who are experiencing the joy of hormones for the first time. I'm like, it feels like you're on a roller coaster you can't get off of, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And kind of giving them permission to be like, yeah, like the highs and the lows. And um, it can be really scary if you don't have someone to talk to about it. And I'm taking a wild swing here because I'm not a Gwen Stacy verse expert. But we see a lot of dad. We don't see that much of mom. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm. Is mom in the picture? Uh, she I don't think is alive. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to say like a no. I'm I pretty sure she's. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. sure she's not with us. Right. So like, even talking about like, well, okay, one, you don't need to have both parental figures in your life to be like versed in your experience of growing up. But mm-hmm. like, what is it like for her to navigate this without a mom? Yeah, because um, stereotypically, it's hard for dads to talk to their daughters about puberty. It's hard for parents to talk to their children about puberty in general. But there's a it's it's hard when it's the opposite genders talking because they're like, this is what's happening. But I don't really know because it didn't happen to me. Um, yeah. And I think it's particularly like stereotypically hard on daughters and dads just because of all like the the cultural impacts of like what does it mean for like a girl to hit puberty and like the sex talk and whatnot um so you know how much has she had a female figure in her life talking to her about all these things yeah yeah probably not a lot yes and especially like given like the context of her dad as like the police captain you know they have a close bond with each other but i could Mm -hmm. just imagine that that chat was difficult yeah (laughs) absolutely (laughs) and yeah i think that that's just oh man i think if we're talking about uh, because my brain is on the dad masculinity train is like we need to do better (laughs) about that with our uh with our dads out there of like, yes, this is not a conversation you've ever had to have before, but maybe you can equip yourself and do some research. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, is what it's it is. Fun. It's fun. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's just a lot that she can unpack in different ways and like kind yeah. of just that compassion and understanding piece of all of it. Yes, absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you. Oh, wait, Tyler. Why did you pick Gwen? No, I haven't done that in so long. Uh, Why'd you pick Gwen? Because she's amazing. No. All Um, right, cool. Great. Yeah, the the end period. I picked Gwen because one, we had the most kind of backstory for her Mm -hmm. uh, that I knew of too. And um, I specific, I like talking about female characters. It's not mm-hmm. a surprise, um, but I like I like her as a female character. I like 
her unapologetic way. Mm-hmm. And I can also relate a lot to just her like close offness with her feelings, but also being very emotional. And uh, she is an awesome character. And I loved how the second one is a her. It's her story. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yes, it's the foundation is miles, but really it's, it's Gwen Stacy's story mm-hmm. this time around. So that's why I picked one. Very cool. Well, thank you very much. And yeah. now, Thank you all for listening uh, as we wrap up our Spider-Verse episode here. Now, of course, there's many Spider-People. We can always come back. And the new movie comes out in, like, less than a year, hopefully. Although there's people saying it might be longer than that. So we'll see. Right. Um, but we may come back and revisit these characters at some point. It's a good it's a good place to be. Yes. Great, great, great films. Otherwise, though, if you want to keep in contact with us between episodes, you can check us out on Instagram at Stories with Shrinks, where Jen posts things when she feels like it, including mental health advocacy things and alerts for new episodes. Uh, Anything that I'm forgetting? If you also like, please share with your friends, comments, stars, thumbs up, whatever your platform allows you to do. But more, more importantly, word of mouth, let a friend know. Hey, we listened to this cool thing. You should check it out. That's awesome. And we appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye, y'all. Stories with Shrinks is an entertainment and education podcast. Our views are our own and should not be considered canon or associated with any of the media or universes we discuss. And thank you to Purple Planet Music for our theme song, Phoenix Rising. You can find music for all your podcasting or YouTube needs at www.purple-planet.com.